Welcome to Media Industry Conversations. I'm your host, Kyle Rather. This speaker series was developed as a part of a course in the Department of Radio, Television, and Film at the University of Texas at Austin. Students hear from industry professionals who talk about their experiences, knowledge, and thoughts on the changing media landscape. This week's guest is Don Stokes. He's the founder and CEO of Post Asylum, a post-production shop based out of Dallas. They do a wide variety of work, including effects and finishing for advertisements and features. Stokes talked about his own journey to creating Post Asylum, how digital technologies have changed the post-production industry, and what it's like working with media producers both within and outside of the state of Texas. He spoke on October 26, 2015, on the UT campus, and the conversation was hosted by Cindy McCreary. So welcome. Thank you for joining us for our next speaker um, in our Media Industry Conversation Series. I'm Professor Cindy McCreary, and I want to thank my colleague and partner, Elisa Perrin, who's not here, but we miss her, and our TAs, Kyle and Tim. And thank you to the support of faculty, the RTF staff, and the Moody College of Communications. Um, and see, be sure to check our website and for our next upcoming guests and RSVP. Um, so please join me now. We have a special guest all the way from Dallas, Texas, uh, Mr. Don <laughs> Stokes. He's the president and founder of Post Asylum Production. House. Yeah, we. Yeah, we're, so. we're primarily a uh, post-production facility. <laughs> does everyone know what a post-production facility is and does? Okay, right. Well, don't assume that. Okay, well. For, for our uh, more. Exhibit. Well, basically, we do creative editorial, color grading, finish, uh, motion graphics, 3D, 2D animation, visual effects, uh, and through our sister company, Pure Evil Music and Sound Design, we do original music and sound audio finish for television commercials, for corporate projects and the occasional independent, either documentary or narrative film. That's great. Well, he, you're our first production person to come in, and which is exciting for us. So uh, maybe we could start. How did you get to where you are? We had lunch earlier today, and he was talking about you know working as a producer, and how, which led to opening his production house, but be a post-production house. So it'd be great to back up even further how you well got to where you are. You know, part of the uh, way I got involved in the business, I was lucky enough to have a a father who was a still photographer and taught photography. So I very early got involved in the image creating process, and I loved. I worked in what was called a wet lab from the age of four, and for the digital age, that was back when we worked with chemicals. And even as a four-year-old at that time, we weren't really worried about the. Uh, damage that was going to be done to your body and your cells from all those chemicals that we had to use to process film and, and make prints. But I love the magic of taking a uh, an exposed piece of paper and you put it in a chemical and watch that image begin to appear. And so I started uh, really doing still photography, and I loved telling stories with my images and recording little what I call moments of history. I loved history. And uh, so that was really what got me sort of a foundation of wanting to be a storyteller. And that's what this business is really about, 
is effectively telling stories, sharing that idea with someone else. And my father uh, quit teaching photography and got a job for uh, a production company in Dallas in the mid-50s, and that was Jameson Film Company. They were uh, the oldest film company in Dallas. They actually started in 1915, so Texas has a very long history in the film business. And I'm sure in your cinema history classes, you know that the first Academy Award-winning film was shot in Texas, Wings. Uh, and uh, Mr. Hugh Jamerson, who started the Jameson Film Company, used to barnstorm around the state, shooting films, processing them at night in the bathtub of his hotel room, and then showing them at the local cinema the next day. So my father got uh, started working at Jameson, and as a little kid, always need cheap talent uh, to fill in for backgrounds and commercials or something like that. Needed someone to roll film prints, needed someone to sweep floors, do a variety of jobs. So I was a little studio rat. So I worked at Jameson just, I think, at the discretion of them being nice to this little kid. But I really got to see all of these really talented people and a lot of really characters. This industry is full of characters. And I fell in love with the people. And uh, so when my father started his production company in 65, I was the janitor. Then I was a cell painter for 2D animation. I was an animation cameraman. I kind of worked up through all of the variety of jobs, including uh, a grip, a location sound recordist. Uh, I was a, a multimedia specialist at that time. That meant programming slide projectors and film projectors in sync. Uh, and then from that, kind of started doing a little bit of editing. And then as the demand came, I started producing and then a little writing and directing, and that was my career on the production side. Uh, Thirteen years ago, when my father passed away, uh, I started uh, Post Asylum, a post-production company. Like I said, we specialize in uh, creative editorial and finish for a variety of moving image projects. And part of the reason that I made that transition from production to post-production was that, uh, and this kind of will jump ahead to some of your questions, and if I'm monopolizing, just let Please, me know. Please, go for it. Uh, you know, one of the th great changes in our business that has taken place is the techno technological advancement. Uh, you know, we were fairly stagnant for 50-plus years where everything based on film was a film camera. It was sprocketed, and you would buy a film camera that could last and still be very, uh, you know, productive in the field for 25, 30 years. So you could amortize your investments over a long period of time. Uh, a film editing uh, flatbed uh, was very expensive, comparatively speaking, in those dollars from the 60s and 70s, but it would last a very long time. And everything was originated on film. And in the late 70s, going to the early 80s, we began to, began to see videotape as a production media move out of the newsroom. And it became uh, more and more common to have TV commercials, 
corporate pieces and not so much the entertainment product except for television produced on videotape. But videotape was a very expensive medium, and if you really wanted to do the same quality work that you did on film, on videotape, to do an, uh, a full editing system where you would finish would cost half a million dollars. So a small production company where you could spend $50,000 to buy a film camera and lenses and magazines, but use it for 10 or 15 years, it was really difficult to go and spend $500,000 and figure that you're going to be able to pay back that expense doing corporate films, doing TV commercials, just for yourself. The volume of work just wasn't there. So you had to go out and create clients to come use your facility to do their work because they couldn't afford to go out and put in a half a million dollar facility. So as you go and solicit more and more people to come do their work at your facility, the natural instinct of another producer is say, I'm not going to bring my client to your facility. You're going to steal my client. So you make all these agreements. Well, all right, I won't call on your client if you bring your post-production work to help me pay for all of this equipment. So you start doing more and more post-production and less and less production. So it was sort of a natural progression when I started uh, my own company. I had a lot of experience at that point on the post side, so that's why we started a post-production facility. Post-production as an industry is a dying industry in the traditional form it is today. Uh, you know, a company that has a staff of individuals doing all of those disciplines like creative editorial finish, uh, graphics, animation, visual effects, music and sound design, uh, because technology, once again, has made this huge leap to democratize the availability of all of you to go out and be post-production houses. I mean, you can go and spend, you know, a, a relatively small cost, a few thousand dollars, to get an editing system, a very capable laptop or workstation, and you're a post house. Uh, in the digital medium, you don't have to have, you know, $150,000, $200,000 tape machines in order to ingest the material that's being shot because it's being produced digitally. So it's really made it a different world. So what we have to do as a post house and what will ultimately be the goal for all of you, I think, is you have to differentiate yourself for what you do. You become a creative entity or individual rather than this a commodity or a service. And so we are trying to transform the post industry and particularly our facility into a creative solution provider. And that's where a client comes to us for us to help package their story, how to best tell that story, whether it is all through live action or it's an integration of graphics and live action or just graphics so that we help them deliver their message in a creative way. And that makes us more valuable and no longer are we shopped as just an hourly rate or a commodity, but we are shopped for the creative enhancements that we bring to their story. Do you have people bring you story ideas for, I mean, I know they, you'll do it on the commercial side or maybe um, if you're doing a corporate project, but for a creative project, do you ever have people come to you at that level, the ground level? I have an idea, and you go 
from the start of an idea, developing it with, and then developing a script? Or, or is that something? Because I could see people coming to you wanting that and not totally understanding. Right. Well, on, on the corporate side in particular, we do have clients that come to us and they have a message they need to deliver. And it may just be simple. I need to communicate to my employees that, for example, Neiman Marcus, we're going to have a new fall line of product. And I need to identify to them what that line's going to be, why it's important, what the changes are, what the fashion movement is, is on color, on pattern, and all those kind of things. So then we have to then craft how do we deliver that message to the employee. Uh, so in that regard, that happens a lot. Yeah. Uh, but we also do have a lot of people who call up on the phone and say, man, I have this great story idea for a movie. Okay. Uh, you know, we're really not the first place you want to start to get that story idea delivered. <laughs> However, there are a few, mostly on the documentary side, uh, that we've gotten involved in where it has been almost as simple as that. Uh, we were talking earlier about a documentary film we made called The Big Shootout, The Life and Times of 1969, which has a big UT tie because it's about the... University of Texas, University of Arkansas, 1969 championship football game. It's the first football game that championship manufactured by television. Uh, it is right in the middle of the Vietnam War. It's right in the middle of the civil rights movement. And all of these things come and kind of get centered around that football game uh, on uh, December 16th, I think, in 1969. But I had an individual who uh, came to me and said, how do you make a documentary film? I said, well, get a camera. Uh, and so he started telling me what the, the story was. And there are so many compelling elements to that story, I got suckered into it. So uh, I got involved and helped him put together... Uh, a crew of three with me going as a producer, sound man, a friend of mine going as the cameraman, and this gentleman going as the uh, interviewer. And we started making phone calls, and we got people who had never talked about that game since 1969, Coach Broyles of the uh, uh, Razorbacks, since the immediately after the game and never spoken publicly about that game. Uh, we got the last interview on film with Coach Daryl Royal, before he passed. So it just, that idea kind of sucked me into it, and so we got that film produced. Uh, but that's the exception to the rule, because typically uh, a facility like ours, our bread and, and butter is doing work for advertising agencies. That's generally where the budgets are. Uh, advertising kind of drives the industry in Dallas today. Uh, it has really morphed over the years from being more of a production center that did a lot of entertainment product, both television, feature films, uh, corporate and advertising, to being more corporate and advertising, where Austin has sort of supplanted Dallas as the entertainment production center in the state. Uh, so advertising companies still have large budgets, uh, you know, we will spend as much time on one 30-second television spot uh, in the post-production process 
as we sometimes spend on a five to six minute corporate piece. Uh, you know, typically, and I'm sure you guys will have probably already experienced this in your uh, production classes, uh, the post cycle for a narrative feature film, uh, the creative editorial aspects generally takes 10 to 12 weeks at a minimum. Uh, it is very difficult for me to tie up one of my editors for that length of time for the budget-challenged uh, dollars that come in from an uh, independent film when for two projects for commercials I can, that take over you know, a couple of weeks, I can make that same money in my company. And part of what the responsibility that I have as a business owner, and ultimately all of you will be entrepreneurs of some kind in this business, whether you start your own companies or whether you're an individual working as uh, an artisan, as a technician, uh, as a producer, director, that you're still going to be an entrepreneur of having to find business, create business. And this is a very collaborative art and you're working with other people, and if these other people come into your sphere of influence and join you on those projects, it's your responsibility to make sure that they have a livelihood, that they can eat, that they can have a place to live. And, and as a facility owner, that's one of the big headaches and one of the big things I worry about all the time is generating enough income to keep the company viable so all those people who have committed to me to work for me to deliver quality products are rewarded for that work. So I have to be a real steward of that time that we can sell. So that's why it's more commercial driven than it is independent film driven. How many people work for you? We have 17 employees on staff. That includes our administrative staff, which is primarily client services, receptionist, accounting, uh, we have three producers on staff that steward the projects through the different aspects of the post-production process. And when we get involved in the production process, the production process, we have a marketing director. We have uh, four editors. Uh, well, one of, does primarily uh, color grading and finish work. The other three do primarily creative editorial. And under Pure Evil, we've got two music composers, sound engineers on staff. And I think we also have full-time engineer who keeps everything sort of up and running and uh, helps monitor the workflow from a technical standpoint. And we have a digital, a digital asset manager, which is radically different today than it was 15 years ago. Do you have interns and PAs? We typically do not. It's, it, the post uh, area of business is, is more difficult to have interns. Most of you, if you get a chance to be an intern, will be more on the production side or potentially at equipment rental facility. Uh, if you're going to try to go more into the crew side, things like that. Post-production, there are those rare opportunities, but it's difficult to have someone necessarily come in and actually have us provide a valuable experience for you in an editing room. Because there's so much dialogue between client and editor, it's really difficult for that editor then to decide or have the opportunity to give an intern or uh, a production assistant a chance to, well, here, you, you do this cut for me, or you do this or you do that. Where we have had interns in past would be digital asset management, 
where we kind of teach you the workflow and uh, get you involved in, there's a lot of transcoding. That's one of the great sins of the digital age. You know, back in the days of film, it was a pretty standardized medium. You know, you, everything came with sprockets on it and it was either 16 millimeter or 35 millimeter or in very rare occasions, super 16 or 70. Uh, but it was all pretty much standard. There are a host of digital file formats. Cam each camera manufacturer generally has some unique file format that they use. There are some attempts at standardization, but there really isn't. So we get material f depending on where it's acquired and who's acquiring it, what cameras they're using. We get a lot of variety of digital formats that we have to kind of transcode in order to make them all work together well. And so that is uh, something where an intern could certainly, one, get really valuable information about that workflow that you can use if you become a producer or uh, a DP or something like that, but help understand the workflow of how things get done. And that's about the only real position. One of our composers was an intern, and when we had an, uh, one of our other composers who was on staff leave, uh, we promoted him to a composer from the intern position, but that's a rarity. Wow. Well, maybe you could talk to us a little bit, walk us through a particular project, if just kind of more hands-on, right. so you, maybe like American Airlines is one of your clients. Well, American example. Airlines, you know, they have a, uh, a, a huge line in the sand between their marketing division and their corporate division. We work more on the corporate side, so we aren't necessarily working on the commercial side. So what we're doing are a lot of the message videos for uh, their employees about what's going to be happening or updates to safety systems and things like that. Probably a better example, if I can, uh, and uh, one that I kind of thought about to show the scope of what we could do. We A while back, we did... We were contacted by an agency that wanted to do uh, a couple of commercials for York, Y-O-R-K, York, -O -R -K, York uh, uh, Heating and Cooling. Basically, they make air conditioners and they make uh, furnaces uh, for the commercial home environment. And they really wanted to craft a message that pointed out the environmental aspects of what they do. So they're... Uh, creative in the agency had come up with the idea that he wanted these talking animals to be involved in telling the York story. So we had to do a proof of concept for the agency to show their client and we made a talking rabbit so that it could uh, basically help tell that story. So they liked it enough that they hired us to do the job and then we needed to help the director that was hired from the production company craft his shots and his story so that we could put our digital footprint easily and seamlessly in the uh, story he was creating. So we actually uh, sent a visual effects supervisor out on location for the shoot in California uh, who helped him, under, the director, understand the placement of the shots. In one of the uh, commercials, we did have a talking rabbit where they actually shot a real rabbit, not with a gun, but with a <laughs> camera, 
coming to ring a doorbell to uh, have the gentleman answer the door and the bunny talks to him and thanks him for buying York. Uh, and then we replaced the rabbit's head with an animated head and we kind of changed the body to give it a little bit more still photorealistic but a little bit more friendly cartoony type feel to it. Uh, we also added a talking squirrel to that spot. The other spot involved uh, where a whole host of animals uh, ring the doorbell and come into the individual's home to stay warm in the winter with a uh, York uh, furnace. So we had to wrangle in the green screen elements, how to shoot that with the different animals coming in, how to help the animal trainer capture the movements of the body that we needed to be able to incorporate to make it appear that they're carrying on a dialogue. And then there was one shot where all of them are sitting together in the living room where, of course, you can't have a coyote and a squirrel and a rabbit and a bobcat and a you know, mountain lion, all of these animals together since their naturally predatory instincts would probably <laughs> kick in. So we had to craft how we do that. And then it comes back to Dallas, and we blend all of that together and add the animation aspects, add the sound design, uh, do all of the color grading and finish and deliver that spot. So there's a, an example where we got intimately involved in the storytelling process, but also helping the production team manage how to tell that story. So do you bring, where how do you find your editors? Well, uh, and this was one of the other questions that came up is, you know, how, what are the career opportunities and things like that? Well, uh, our senior editor uh, came in uh, to show his reel. He was about a year out of college. Uh, he had uh, edited an independent feature film called Corn Man, the Great American Vegetable Hero, which I think you can still find. Uh, and uh, we looked at what he had done, and he had done some informational films. He worked for a used equipment resale company for video and film equipment. So he had done a few videos to help market their uh, equipment sales. So we looked at what he had done, and we knew that he could tell a story, and there was just something just... You kind of get these gut feelings, which we did at the time, that he really had a lot of potential. And we didn't, we had a need for a junior sort of assistant editor at the time, but we weren't quite ready to hire one. But we knew that if we didn't, he might be scooped up someplace else. So we brought him on, and it wasn't, you know, two years later, he's moved into the senior editing position because he just had that innate quality of, you know, how to tell a story, the rhythm and the pace of editorial. Uh, so we do interviews. Uh, one of our other editors uh, came on board as an opportunity, and this is something that you will need to look at when you go out to start your professional careers, is you may have in mind, this is what I want to do. I want to be a producer. I want to be a director. I want to be a cameraman. I want to be a sound designer. I want to be, you know, a whole host of jobs that are out there. But our opportunity at that time was reception. 
So she said, okay, I want to get my foot in the door. And we hired her as a receptionist. And she worked in the receptionist position for almost a year. And then we had an opportunity that we needed someone to be uh, what was then the tape room and budding digital asset manager. So we asked if that's where she wanted to go. And she said, well, my, my career path, I really want to be an editor. But if that'll help me get there, yes, I'll make that move. So she was in the uh, tape room for a little over a year. And then the opportunity presented itself that we needed an assistant editor. So we promoted her from within to assistant editor. And now she's an editor. So uh, there are those job opportunities that you'll move through. You just have to take advantage of, you know, those people that you meet that you know you want to learn from and uh, gain a, a better knowledge base that will help you move forward. And so it may not be a direct path to where you want to go, but sometimes those side tangible tangent moves will get you where you ultimately want to go. It seems to me like working commercials, you know, really prepares you on a lot of levels of in working in film or in television. And do you have a lot of, I'm sure you have a lot of people that work for you who probably start out wanting to work in film. Or maybe they still work in film, but this is how their day job to, to pay for their film aspirations. Well, generally, you know, editing's a passion. Uh, but it is about telling stories. And it is a great foundation for you to learn the art of telling stories, how to craft it, how to deliver a message, and particularly on the commercial side, not lose sight that you are ultimately telling the story for an audience's benefit. Uh, What gets lost sometimes in the independent filmmaking process is that you are actually telling your story for an audience, and you tell the story for yourself. And sometimes that can be successful, but more often than not, it's not going to be a real well-received film because what you sometimes have in your head, you do not effectively deliver that on screen to your audience. And commercials really school you on having to do that. And, uh, you know, our editor who actually... uh, Three of our editors, of the four, have all worked on long-form projects. Uh, part of what will happen, and we discussed this a little bit, uh, we do get involved in long-form projects. Usually they're more of a, uh, a passion project because we either believe in the story or we believe in the individual, the filmmakers that are making the film. And we will try to help where we can, and uh, we will also try to provide an opportunity for our people to work on some of these other projects because it keeps them fresh. It gives them the opportunity to feel a passion. Uh, but then they're re-energized or ready to come back and tell the next story, which may be a 30-second spot on uh, auto insurance, which we do a lot of those kind of things, which we think we do fairly cleverly. I feel like a really good commercial is like a really great short film. It is. It is like making a short. And like I said, it's about rhythm. It's about delivering the message and about telling the story. And that's another thing that 
makes a really good editor. Typically someone who is musical in some way has a leg up on being a good editor because they understand that pace rhythm, which is what it's about. Because you can edit something, you know, almost infinite number of ways, and they're generally going to be something that communicates maybe a little bit better to your audience, and that's what you're looking for. Um, so most of your work is in Dallas. You're based in Dallas. Right. Uh, most of our work comes from Dallas. Dallas, like I said, is a real uh, center for advertising. There are a lot of uh, corporation headquarters in Dallas, so that helped build uh, a large pool of advertising agencies and corporate work and the quality of the work that those advertising agencies were producing. The Richards Group, which you have the Stan Richards uh, Advertising School here, uh, because of the quality of work they were doing on the local market, they were able to track national market. So a lot of uh, work comes from outside of Texas as well, but still through Dallas-based or Texas-based advertising agencies. Uh, it's a little difficult to do creative editorial for uh, remote clients, non-local based clients, because typically they want to be there and be part of that process and sit in an editing room with you. So uh, you can do remote editing through uh, you know, hooking up digital feeds to the process, but it's just not the same. It's not quite that immersive personal interaction. But where we do a lot of work to clients across the country is on the music side. Uh, people are more willing to farm out original music composition to someone that isn't local because the auditory experience, they know when they hear it, if they like it or not. So we do uh, uh, get an opportunity to do a lot uh, more audio for remotely. We had one project where uh, the director was from California, the editorial house was actually in Chicago, and the client was in Houston, but we did the original music, which included a song, which you can buy on iTunes, because the song they liked so much for the commercial, they asked us to make it a longer form into a piece of music that we could actually sell as a tune on iTunes. Well, you're involved in a lot of different boards, film boards mm -hmm. in, in Texas area <laughs> between women and film. Right. And... Um, a lot of film festival. I mean, maybe you could talk about just the work prospects for students. I know a lot of students don't want to leave Texas. Do you think it's a practical? Um, we obviously, <laughs> I'm a native Texan. Uh, I grew up here. I made my career here. And I know a lot of people who have been very, very successful in crafting their career in Texas. I also know a lot of people who left Texas to find their path and find their careers. Uh, at one time, it was a lot easier to stay in Texas and have a career than it is today. Uh, what is, I think, a huge shame is the fact that the creative talent pool that is being produced at places like here uh, that go out into the marketplace feel like they have to leave the state. I'd like to keep that creative brain trust here. And Austin is a good example of uh, a lot of UT graduates who actually have been successful in doing that uh, with you know Rick Linklater and Robert Rodriguez uh, and others. Uh, but uh, 
It is an environment where if you really want to just make a career as a, let's say more of a crew person or a technician in the industry, you probably are going to have a difficult time finding the volume of work in the feature film business, in the episodic television business in Texas to help make your career. Uh, you're probably going to go to one of our neighboring states like Louisiana, New Mexico, or Georgia, or out to California. But be aware that uh, they're going to want you to work as a resident of those states because that's how the incentive programs are based. Uh, California, a wonderful state, but very expensive. So the cost of living there is extremely high, so it makes it much more difficult for you to have a career that will support you and necessarily the lifestyle that you would like. But there's a lot more opportunities there. I still believe that that can change, and, I th and going back to how the post business has been democratized by the change of technology, the same is true of the production business. And going back to that point about all of you being entrepreneurs, uh, you can find those opportunities. You know, today uh, with the digital acquisition and being able to get quality production equipment cameras at a much uh, lower entry point from a cost standpoint, you guys have grown up with the opportunity to become storytellers at a much younger age than I did. You know, I, I wasn't able to go and get, you know, you, Super 8 was sort of a relatively available medium for uh, doing your own little projects and student films, but the real professional grade equipment was not readily available to a teenager or uh, even a college student. You know, we had, a, uh, when I went to college, I think we had four film cameras for the entire uh, student body that you know, we're measuring and you had to check out a camera for a specific amount of time and go and do your project and turn it back in. And if you ran overtime, you were screwing somebody else up and so it was really difficult. In today's world, you don't have those same barriers. So you can become your own storytellers and stay and work with this huge pool of creative talent that you have the opportunity to tap into. Film is, I believe, the most collaborative art form there is. It's a group of people working together to tell that story, each perfecting that product together. You know, everybody making a contribution. And the, all the people that are in this room with you and the classes that you're with, those are the opportunities that you need to take the advantage of getting to know those people setting up relationships where they work on your projects, you work on their projects, because those are potentially lifelong partnerships that you can work together. Uh, you know, that's how uh, Wally Pfister, who shot uh, Inception and uh, The Dark Knight and all that, because they went to school together, you know. Uh, so they worked together. So those opportunities are there, and... You know, the one thing that I kind of regret, uh, because I did not spend enough time with my classmates, uh, getting to know them and sharing and working with them, because I went off and, you know, did my uh, work at, the, at my father's studio, I didn't create those relationships. I created relationships with, you know, individuals who were already in the business, which were incredibly valuable, 
because there's a knowledge base there that I was able to tap into, but a lot of those individuals are now gone. Uh, you know, my contemporaries that I could be working with, uh, I don't have those relationships from school that I wish I had. Those relationships that have gone on to win Oscars uh, from the class that I was in, you know, those, those people I only knew on a peripheral basis take advantage of getting to know the people around you and working together to perfect each other's art. Are there any um, local trade magazines or um, websites that you read regularly? I mean, there's Deadline and the Variety and all those things that everyone... Right, I mean, I, Hollywood Reporter and Variety and uh, Indie Film and I wonder if there's anything like more local. Uh, you know, uh, a great resource for all of you are the film commissions, the individual city film commissions, the state film commission, uh, they have uh, a here, list. We had Heather here last week. Right. And they have a listing of people that work in the industry, companies, people for you to reach out and try to make contact with. Uh, I know at least in Dallas, they also have a posting for job opportunities. They also have postings for uh, productions that are coming into the marketplace and oftentimes will include contacts for the local production managers that you may be looking for PAs, uh, great opportunity because they're always looking for inexpensive labor on these larger productions. <laughs> and uh, I, several PAs who got on uh, with the good guys, uh, which when it was shooting in Dallas, kind of went up the food chain. And when they brought the next big television production, which I think was Dallas into Dallas, they were no longer PAs, but they were working either as location managers or something like that. So take those opportunities if you can. Uh, I don't believe, I know Austin has tried to start a uh, Austin Production Association like the Dallas Producers Association. I know it has been a struggle uh, for them to kind of get that off the ground, but if it is in place, I would try to find that uh, because like the Dallas Producers Association, it's like 250 member companies that meet on a monthly basis, have a program, and we do have student memberships. Uh, and it's an opportunity for students to meet people and network, which is vital in this business, is meeting people and networking and get them to recognize you and know that you care and you want to want to do the work. Uh, the Texas Association of the Moving Image, uh, which was formerly the Texas Association of Film Tape Professionals, but they changed the name because we've morphed beyond film and tape. Uh, I know there are members in uh, Austin. I would try to get involved with them. They basically are a crew base uh, that lists opportunity or lists people who are specializing in different uh, crew positions so that people who come in for projects either from out of, out of town or even within town can find sources and I know they are always looking for people to volunteer to help with their programs, help with their office management and it's a great uh, opportunity to meet people. That's really great advice. I, I never thought about the film commission being played but that makes a lot of sense. It's it, really it good really advice. We have a lot of students who want, you know, just desperate to take any position of PA or intern on, a, on any shoot that's local and you guys should write, be sure, I hope you wrote all that down. Um, and, and be aware, you know, that uh, right place, right time. 
so don't be afraid to be a little bit of a pest. Don't be too much of a pest. But go back, remind people that you're out here and that you're willing to work and willing to do whatever they need you to do. When you go out and make these contacts, don't just go see them once and forget about them because they said, no, we don't have anything. Yeah. Ask if it's okay if you send them email updates of where you are, what you're doing, what other uh, skill sets you've added. Be polite, be respectful, but really try to make them aware that you're out there because uh, six months after you go to see them, maybe when they have that opportunity to hire that person, and if you haven't kept in touch and someone goes in that day and says, hey, I'm here to be a PA. Okay, I need a PA, so you're my body. You know, keep that contact going. That's great. Um, well, why don't we start open it up? I'm sure you guys have questions. Do you require, like, a, editors to use a certain software like Premiere or Avid or something like that, or is it totally up to their individual discretion? No. Uh, as a company, we pretty much need to standardize in some way or another, and uh, we kind of jumped on the Avid bandwagon way early, back in the mid-'80s, when the company was just getting started, uh, partly because it was one of the first... Uh, systems that really understood that nonlinear aspect that film was the champion of. Uh, you know, the, the offline linear editing tapes, uh, days of tape, were nightmarish. Uh, and, uh, you know, after you had to clone and clone and clone and clone and copy, copy, you were like 30 generations down on your uh, offline tape that you were editing. It kind of looked about as bad as Avid did at the time because the compression was so terrible. But it gave you, a, once again, a creative tool. And the other company that was competing at that time was EMC Squared, which is not the digital storage company, but uh, was a PC-based system, and uh, Avid was Mac-based system. And for whatever reason, our engineer at the time just loved Mac more. And while the picture quality was initially better on the other system, we chose Avid, and I think we've been real happy and pleased that we did. But we have clients who have come in with a lot of material they want us to do finish on that was originated in Final Cut. Uh, some have originated in Premiere. So we have to, once kind of like you in the digital world, have to be a little bit agnostic in that we need to be able to get that media that was in another system into our system. So we, fortunately, it's easier today than it was five years ago, but we pretty much can do that. We do have Final Cut available at the facility, but we feel like uh, Apple sort of abandoned that process on the professional market, and it really isn't viable anymore. Uh, Premiere, uh, Adobe was brilliant. Uh, Premiere was this kind of off-brand editorial software uh, that was, you know, you if you were doing your own project and it wasn't going to ever leave your your own hands and all that, you worked in Premiere and you did a great job in all of that because it was less expensive than Avid or more user-friendly for whatever reason to the systems that you had. But when they integrated all of that into the creative suite where After Effects, which was the standard effects program for just about everybody, even though we use a whole host of 
other effects programs and compositing tools. After Effects gets used in almost every project. And Photoshop and Illustrator and uh, Premiere and all of their uh, web content management software into these package suites, it became a no-brainer for smaller companies to make that move to Premiere. And we see Premiere has definitely supplanted Final Cut as the kind of post-production editorial tool of choice for the general public on the real professional hardcore post side. Avid is still pretty much the system of choice, but we as a company, as we move forward, because we've already been an Adobe user in all of their other software packages, are getting more and more uh, integrated into the Premiere family as well. But editing is editing. All of the systems have enough sort of redundant thought process that with just a little bit of time, you're going to be able to make that transition from one to the other. Uh, I would love to say go Avid because then you're going to be ready for me right off the bat. But I, I would think in today's world premiere is probably where, where you're going to want to go. So it's just basically a question on your process, but it Mostly you don't do really any production at all, or do you? We do, and that's part of that becoming a creative solution provider. Because uh, typically what happens with uh, most advertising projects, uh, it starts with the advertising agency working with the client to craft their message, and they have a creative director who sort of plans that strategy of how you're going to tell that story, and it gets assigned to an agency producer. That agency producer then goes, hires a production company who specializes in just acquiring the footage, and then that producer then takes that footage, and the production company generally drops out of the picture, and they go to a post house to get it finished. What has happened uh, is the... Uh, Production companies have uh, gotten tired of having that creative process sort of yanked out of their hands. So more production companies have gotten into the post-production business. This is particularly true in Dallas. So that they add a component to the process where, uh, like Directors is a, a big production company in Dallas. Uh, Lucky Post is the company that they started to feed their own projects to as the agencies will let them. So in order to not see our world shrink even more, we've started trying to get with the people to be a creative solution provider where you can tell us what you need to do. We'll help package you that, uh, that production and we will deliver to you a choice of production companies, directors to work with and you can kind of one, do it through one source and we can help you de decide how to tell that story and how to integrate, whether it's visual effects, it's graphics, or live action, uh, into that story and try to do it where it's a little bit more cost-effective and a little bit easier for you time-wise to get it done. So we have had to start moving more and more to that production side. Uh, it's only successful with certain clients uh, because there's still that ingrained traditional pathway that is... Uh, still out there, but on the corporate side, 
and in some cases, even uh, corporations who are maybe just getting started on the broadcast side and want us to help them do their first commercials or so, it, it works pretty well. I've got kind of a two-part question. Uh, the first part of my question is um, just generally what the uh, Dallas kind of landscape is as far as um, competition for um, different clients' kind of uh, projects. Um, like I know the the Richards Group also does a lot of work with uh, Real Effects, which is another mm -hmm. post-production house down there. Um, and then the second part of my question is um, you mentioned that it's sometimes hard to uh, get projects done for um, clients that aren't local, like clients from other states and mm -hmm. things like that. Um, so if there ever was like another city that you would consider um, maybe opening up another um, post-asylum base, um, just like generally in the U.S., if there's any other markets that are particularly um, lucrative in terms of advertising work? It is very competitive. There's probably, uh, and I don't know, I'm probably going to undersell the market a little bit, but there's at least six major post-production facilities in Dallas, and there's probably a dozen other, you know, maybe not quite at the same tier, but still very competent and have a client base. And the agency market is also uh, incredibly large and diverse. So there are the large agencies like the Richards Group and TM and uh, uh, Omnicom has four different agencies, I think, under their umbrella uh, in the Dallas market. And we all are competing for those same clients. And it is very difficult once, uh, typically, if you do, all of the companies do quality work. All of them have quality people. It's about the user experience and how comfortable the client, the agency producer, feels in working in your facility. So 50% of being a good editor at least is your communication skills, your ability to make a client feel comfortable, carry on conversation with them, and be able to translate into the finished product what they are telling you that they want and being able to enhance it in a way that you feel like they feel like they're sharing this process with you rather than you just taking it over and trying to do it on your own. And all the companies do that and all of the good editors do that. So uh, it is very hard for someone to take a client away from another established post house where They've been doing work for that agency, for that client, like Southwest Airlines or something like that, for an extended period of time because they get used to working with those people. They get those people ingrained to, this is our message, this is our story, and you become part of the team in telling that story. And the asset management, you are the repository of all of this footage, all of this uh, audio source, all of this graphic source. So for you to go as an agency to go and take that to a different post house is very difficult and very cumbersome. So it's really hard to move. So what you hope you're going to do is there's always new products and new clients coming to the landscape. So you're, I'm calling on the Richards Group all the time. They're not going to bring me Southwest Airlines. It's just not going to happen, at least not now. But they may have a new client, and they look at the quality of work that we do for other clients, and something may ring a bell, like the direct auto spot. Wow, that's great humor. I've got this humor spot for this new client. 
I want to bring that to you because it's easy for me to bring a new job to you. And that's my foot in the door. And right now we, we're, we're doing some work for Rich's Group and we do a host of work for the next tier down of advertising agencies because they uh, you know, are uh, also looking for resources and people that, that can become their A-team. And so we're hoping to become that A-team. It is about the experience. It's not just, once again, about being able to tell a good story. It's about the communication. It is about the producers being able to steward that project through. Some of it is definitely about budget. Are you willing to work with me on price? It's about what you serve them for breakfast. It's about what you serve them for lunch. It's about how clean your bathrooms are. It's about you know how warm the environment is how cool your decor is in the advertising side, all of that comes into play. Not so much on the independent film side, because then it's generally about how creative you are and how quickly and cheaply we can get this done. Uh, uh, the corporate side kind of falls in the middle. So there's a lot of competition, and there are probably too many of us out there trying to get that same work, but you know, uh, so far, most of us are surviving. There's been a few who've fallen by the wayside. Uh, there are, and I won't give you names, but there are companies that move accounts because they feel like they have been betrayed by the post house because, and this is not the client, but I'll use it, but you're my Coke guy, and you're off here doing work for Pepsi. I'm going to pull my Coke count because I don't, you shouldn't have ever gone and done that work for Pepsi. And that's happened in Dallas, and, there's, and it's been a great boon to other post houses because a couple of major clients who were doing you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of business a year got pulled because they felt like the uh, people they were working with were working with a competitor as well. Chicago, uh, Atlanta, huge post-production markets, both in the advertising and uh, corporate and other production, production uh, entertainment production media. Uh, Minneapolis, San Francisco, of course, L.A., New York, the biggest centers. Uh, but those are all very vibrant and active communities. Uh, if I really wanted to specialize in... Uh, potentially visual effects work or uh, try to get into the independent narrative film world, I'd probably try to go to uh, Shreveport or Baton Rouge or Albuquerque uh, or once again to Atlanta to try to get that business, look at where the production's being done. But on the advertising commercial side, almost all of the major cities have some significant post-production presence, but if you look at, once again, uh, Los Angeles, San Francisco, uh, Vancouver is huge, uh, Chicago, uh, Atlanta, New York, Dallas, those are all really, really vibrant advertising communities. If, are you guys known for specific I think, genre? I think part of what... Uh, uh, I think a blending of graphic elements with live action has really been part of our calling card. Uh, you know, I, I had a, like I said, I was a cell painter. I was an animation cameraman. 
So I got involved in the animation world early, early on. We got involved in computer animation early, early on. Incredibly expensive and painful process. Uh, and so we've always sort of been adding that element to it. You mentioned real effects. Uh, real effects always wanted to be a animation production company doing their own proprietary animated features, and they've done a few. Uh, and their goal in getting there was doing animated projects for other animation studios to where the budgets didn't support them to spend their time, like at Blue Sky doing, you know, uh, uh, a commercial for McDonald's using their characters or, or even uh, a straight-to-video animated film. So they crafted those to use as demo selling things. And they kind of moved to the post-production side on the commercial market as an ancillary to that to try to generate income and multiple earning streams. And they still do that, and they're still very competitive on that, and they have a great selling aspect of, hey, we're the company that, uh, you know, are doing these feature films, uh, you know, that we can certainly bring skill to do your your projects. Uh, And they do get a lot of work, but at the same time, it may not be the same personalized experience. They're certainly capable, competent, and have great people, but part of our identity, too, is, and it's just something that's established over the years that has been good and bad, but we're a family facility. You become part of our family. We work together. You know everything we know. You, you know, know about the kids. You know about the uh, what movies we're going to go see, what you know, TV shows we're watching. We sit down and eat lunch together. Those kind of aspects, maybe we appeal to a certain client base that appreciates that. Uh, there are other clients who think that's hokey, uh, so it may be difficult for us to get those. But at the same time, it's about an experience for our people as much as it is for the client, so that works for us. Um, what about with, if you're trying to be a full-service provider in a way where you're actually on out shooting the production as well? Do you hire freelance We do. I mean, and- basically, uh, at this point, because uh, just like uh, an editor kind of gets a reputation for having a skill set and a particular type of storytelling, uh, directors kind of fall victim to that as well, even though we know good quality directors can tell a host and variety of stories. You get pigeonholed, and sometimes to your benefit, as a humor director, as a slice-of-life director, as a documentary-style director. So uh, a turnkey production facility that's trying to do everything it's difficult for them to not get an identity that's somewhat limiting to the scope of what they do. So typically what happens is uh, a production company will put a roster of directors together that they will, kind of like we have a roster of editors, where they will be able to show a client, well, here's our humor guy, here's our, this guy, or the, he, he's really specialty in, in this. 
And if you want, you know, just nature footage, this guy's great on that. So you would have to really be successful at putting a team together that you can market. What works for us is we see all those people. We do work with a lot of those people. We do a lot of work with uh, food directors because we do a lot of food spots. Uh, and we've uh, helped a lot of them out to create their reels, which is you know great opportunity for us to get them to talk good about us or to show samples of our, well, who edited that spot for you? Oh, over at Poseidon, okay, we'll go over there. And uh, so we have what we feel like is a real good feel for the pool of talent that's out there, and we will go and reach to those turn the, the production side and since the background, certainly I have, was in production, we feel like we can sort of supervise those well and kind of help manage that process and help divide up the responsibilities. So we, and that's part of moving that creative solution provider is to be able to craft that roster of people to work together. I think long term, we would probably, to be real successful at that, we'll have to bring that production creative identity in-house as well. Would you ever look at student films and say, this, this director's amazing, they'd be perfect for some of our... You know, we, you bring them we, the shadows, we do, uh, and it's, it's funny, uh, even on the, and probably really on the agency side, uh, you know, you guys can all make your spec spots, your commercials where... You create the creative, you create a message, you tell it in an incredibly interesting, compelling manner, and get those out. In today's world, there are so many avenues for that stuff to be seen, and agency producers watch that, and I haven't seen it so much lately because probably my focus has been elsewhere, but there was a period of time, uh, probably four or five years ago, where it seemed like there were a couple of agency producers and creatives that really looked to mine to find that next great young talent. And they were looking for those spec spots for someone to give them an opportunity to go out and direct their spots because they want to be known as the person who discovered that person and they also want to be known as someone who can deliver that edgy commodity that may not be readily available from a more traditional production facility because they've gotten sort of used to working within the formula and the mold. Great. Well, this has been a lot of great information. And uh, real quick before we say goodbye, um, what, what's your favorite show? Oh, well, you know. Let's do that closing. Uh, and I, I tried to think about this. Or what are you watching now? Yeah, Deborah and I are TV junkies. We watch way too much TV, and and it you know all of the Marvel and DC characters <laughs> to Game of Thrones to Madam Secretary, which is a more traditional storytelling style. I still watch South Park. <laughs> I love Modern <laughs> Family and Big Bang, so we're fairly eclectic. Uh, you know, we watch Sherlock, uh, you know, all of those shows uh, that are out there on TV. And we think there is just a, a lot of great product. There's a lot of not so great product. Uh, the last film we saw was The Martian, uh, which we loved. We thought it was terrific. Uh, you know, you as young filmmakers, you have a great opportunity 
in that there are so many, and I know we need to quit, so many uh, avenues to get your, your message, your films, your stories seen. But the thing that you need to remember to be successful financially at getting that thing seen, that's a different thing. So you have to keep in mind you need to tell a story for your audience and tell a compelling story so that they're going to want to watch it because there's a billion places to see it, but you need to find one that people identify already with having compelling product on it. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming down. Thanks for listening to this episode of Media Industry Conversations. This has been a production of the Department of Radio, Television, and Film and the Moody College of Communication at the University of Texas at Austin. To learn more about the program or to hear past guests, visit our website, rtf.utexas.edu. This course was made possible by the work of Dr. Elisa Perrin and Cindy McCreary with lead TA Tim Piper, and the program was produced and edited by the technical TA, that's me, Kyle Rather. We hope you join us next time for another media industry conversation. Get along, little dopey, get along. Get along, little dopey, get along. There is a land, a western land, mighty wonderful to see.